Hello and welcome to uh, Christian Link episode two. Uh, I'm your host, Carl Rosner, and this is a Netrunner podcast, but it's not really a podcast, at least not for this episode. Uh, this episode's audio is actually taken from a video I made on YouTube called uh, Christian Link episode two, uh, South Study uh, Data Pack Review. So it's a South Study Island Data Pack Review uh, that I did um, and published. And uh, a guy that I uh, that was posting on the, uh, the Reddit uh, for this uh, episode, because that's how I kind of promote the series is through Reddit and through the Stimhack forms, my two big spots. Um, maybe you found it there. Maybe you found it through a podcast feed. The point being is that one of those guys asked me to mix it into a podcast form. And uh, I was more than happy to oblige. It's not that much work uh, to take the audio out, put it in there. And uh, maybe, you know, this will turn into something where it's a kind of a hybrid video audio podcast where sometimes I'll do just straight up audio stuff straight up, and I'll post that as a video. And sometimes I'll do video stuff that gets brought back to it to uh, the audio format and interchange, which I just kind of just thought up now, um, and that seems like a pretty good idea. Um, play it by ear. And uh, it also bears mentioning, kind of like while we're on the topic of production of the Christian Link series, is that it takes a phenomenal amount of time to make a solo episode of Christian Link. Um, if I could do some conversational stuff with other people, then it would be a little bit easier because conversations auto- uh, fact check themselves they auto correct themselves so if you say something that's completely moon speak like hot garbage someone else will say no you're wrong and here's why or they'll say i don't understand could you please explain um when you're doing it by yourself you have to be that person and you have to go back and re-listen to everything you've said which essentially is like doubles or triples the time it takes you to actually produce an episode and there's also in conversations another aside there's a certain level of leniency we expect to people's like fact checking ability in that kind of in the hot seat situation in the situation that I'm in, which is I'm producing the solo piece of content. It has to be editorialized and properly presented and factual um, mistakes can't be made. Like I can't get the influence for a card wrong when I'm doing a review for it. Um, so in the case of this episode, it took me about eight hours to record and then like another six or seven hours to edit it. And I mean, like when I'm talking about editing, I'm talking about video editing. Um, uh, the, the audio editing is done during the recording process. It's done live, basically, as each segment is kind of finished. At least that's what I did this time. Uh, the video editing is like, I'm going to have to re-listen to the entire thing yet again, but this time I'll have to go slower because I have to actually stop and start every time I hear a card being mentioned and make a decision. Does this card need to be displayed or not? You're going to hear, if you want, want to watch the video, you'll see that I don't really display Scorched Earth all that often because I expect people to kind of know what that is. Um, whereas some other more obscure cards I might actually display and animate into the video um, because I want to uh, give people a visual resource and not have them have to go and search Netrunner DB or whatever Netrunner card site of their choice um, to go find the card and figure out what I'm trying to say and why the combo or why the interactions are the way they are. Um, that being said, uh, depending on like what kind of piece of content I'm working on, video, audio, whatever... Uh, and effectively the reason why I'm mentioning the production process at all is that I want to emphasize something that I don't really have a set release schedule for any of these. And I think it's fair to let you guys know that up front because, I mean, I'm a connoisseur of podcasts. I've been listening to them since basically podcasts were like a big thing. Like I used to listen to the podcast from oneup.com and then I started listening to podcasts like, you know, that kind of spawned from there, like Rebel FM. Um, and the deal I want to kind of say to you guys is like, hey, you know what? You know, I'm one guy. The content I make is takes a long time to make. And uh, while I would love to be like a Rebel FM that releases every Friday, and, you know, I've had days where 
I've come home and I've turned on Rebel FM and I've had these dudes I've been listening to for like seven, eight years now, and they're just talking about video games and my shitty life has seemed a little bit better because I've had a real rough week. Um, while I would love to be kind of another element to that positive experience in people's lives on a regular basis, I don't think I have the production like framework in place or even the capacity to put it in place uh, to go become that. Um, so I'm just saying to you guys, like off the bat, Hey, you know what? Content is content. I'll make it and I'll try to make it as well as I can. Uh, but you know, it's not necessarily going to be an every Friday kind of deal. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention to you guys is that, uh, I do have an email address I've set up for the express purpose of letting you guys contact me. And it is, uh, chrisiumlink at gmail.com. So it's C R I S I U M L I N K at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's actually get to the the audio from uh, Christian Link episode two, Cell Sadie Island Data Pack Review. Uh, this is straight from YouTube. Um, enjoy, guys. Hey, guys, I'm Carl, and uh, today on Christian Link episode two, we're going to be looking at the latest data pack in the Mumbad cycle. Now, this data pack is called Salsetti Island is what I want to say it's called, but because of all the this being set in India and all the dialects, it's probably not actually pronounced that way, but it's what I'm going to say because Salsetti sounds snappy to me, you know, I like it. Um, so let's get started looking at these cards. We're going to look at the runner stuff first because I think that some really interesting things there, and then of course the corporation side is bigger and chunkier, uh, and so we'll, we'll dig into that uh, in the second half. All right, first up, we have probably my most anticipated card in, in the, uh, the data pack. I play a lot of Anarchs, so this has got me excited. It's making an entrance, a zero-cost-to-play event. Uh, it's priority. Uh, play only as your first click, it says in the card text. And it goes, look at the top six cards of your stack. You may trash any of those cards and arrange the rest in any order. It's to influence. So you don't have to trash all the cards that you look at. You can essentially just do the second half of the text. You can arrange them in any order. And this is a completely great Anarch draw card. I love it. It's so Anarch flavorful. It's so flavorfully Anarch. <laughs> um, the ability to basically go and remove duplicates from your drawing pool is fantastic. The ability to go in there and use this card and then kind of construct perfect... Um, you know, if you've drawn yourself a street peddler and you have one of these in your hand, you can use that and kind of make it so that your street peddler isn't going to pick up events. Like, you're not going to pick up another, you know, uh, make it an entrance if you play a street peddler. Or maybe you see there's a street peddler in those top six cards and, like, a pair of duplicates. So you can get rid of the duplicates and use the street peddler to draw through the rest of the uh, the cards in that area. And you're ahead six cards in, like, two, you know, two clicks and spending zero credits to do that, and then also having the power of Street Peddler to install things. So this is a very interesting uh, draw utility. It, I think it'll kind of take the place of um, uh, Inject in a lot of decks, because it does have a lot of power. Like in a max deck, you know, you're going to be able to burn through just more cards with this, and you're also going to be able to construct max draws next turn. So, you know, you're going to be able to do a lot, something a lot like Street Peddler, where max discards those two cards and draws a card, well, now you can kind of arrange the cards so that you're going to draw the ones you want. Um, very interesting card, uh, and it's very simple. That's what I like about it. The next card coming up is also an Anarch card. It's Salsetti Slums. It's two to install, resource, location, CD. And it says, once per turn, when you pay the trash cost of an accessed card, remove that card from the game instead of trashing it. And uh, it's two influence. So 
this is also very anarch flavor, uh, flavorfully anarch. Why do I keep on saying anarch flavorful? Um, it's very flavorfully anarch because it allows you to basically, uh, you know, they're all about destruction. They're all about disruption. Um, and this, you know, disrupts someone's strategy by removing something they want to potentially recur back at, into their deck from the game. So it's a counter recursion card, uh, a meta card to be used against decks that use a lot of recursion, like Museums of History and Jackson Howard's. Um, so is that, you know, is it a good card? Well, like every meta card, it depends on what you're going up against. You know, is Plaskrete Carapace a good card if you're not running against any meat damage decks? Not really. Um, but it's necessary and it makes its way into almost all kind of tournament decks in case you run into that butcher shop deck uh, and you're on that time, uh, you're on that timer to basically when they get their scorch package put together to kill you, uh, you want that meta card, you want that, uh, that plastic carapace installed so you can basically stop them from doing that. And, you know, they can essentially tag you all day at that point and you're not going to have a problem with it as much. It's a little bit harder nowadays with that and Destiny putting a bunch of tag tricks into the game, but you know, you know, that's kind of the deal with Flask Creek Carapace. This card is against, uh, is the same thing, but against the new kind of uh, Jobs for Days decks we're seeing um, with like Industrial Genomics, where they intentionally overdraw to put cards face down into archives. Uh, they defend archives so that the trash cost of everything goes skyrocketing up. Um, and then they install Mumbad City Hall, which allows them to click and install Alliance cards from R&D. And then essentially they bring out all of their Museums of History, which are Alliance cards, and they bring out all their Mumba Temples, which are Alliance cards, and potentially a whole bunch of other slew of Alliance cards, some of which are in this data pack, uh, some of which have been released in the rest of the Mumba cycle. And they basically create this engine that you can't kill. Um, well, now you kind of have an option to counter that with slums because you're going to be able to hit archives once and kind of have two uh, two to three clicks depending on how much you know effort it took to get into to archives to go through their um their uh their asset field and kind of defang it uh and you're going to be looking for things like um like bioethics association which if it's resed and has no ice defending it uh does one net damage at the beginning of the uh corporation's turn um if you can find those cards and remove them from the game, that Jobs for Days deck, the one that basically, they run three of these, they install all three of these there, uh, and then they have three um, neural EMPs inside of their uh, their hand. They essentially flatline you, they kill you uh, with this kind of weird setup deck. Uh, this is kind of a counter to that deck. Uh, it's also a counter to any number of other types of asset spam decks with heavy recursion. Um, so... Yeah, like definitely an interesting card, but certainly a meta choice to be used uh, selectively. So uh, the next card coming up uh, is the first criminal card in the data pack. It's exclusive party. It's a zero to play event. And it says draw one card, gain one credit for each copy of exclusive party in your heap, limit six per deck. So I can have six of these. Uh, it's important to note that um, that events only uh, get discarded into your heap after they resolve. So this card does not give you a credit the first time you play it. It only gives you the credit when you already have one credit, when you have one in your heap already, uh, which instantly makes this kind of not as good. Um, but if I'm going to be honest with you, it's already kind of not good anyways. Um, deck slots right now are at a super premium. You have all these different corporation decks like, you know, HB, uh, like Food Coats, HB Glacier. You have... Um, 
You have uh, Scorched Earth uh, in the form of Butcher Shop. You have, you know, whatever Wayland can cobble together for Scorched Earth. And by the way, I'm a Wayland player. I love to play Wayland, but not as good as Butcher Shop. And then you have all these weird asset spam decks too. Um, and this card is taking up spots that you need to run Plascrete and that you need to run other weird eccentric kind of things to help you get through these, uh, these you know, kind of one-offs tricky decks. And uh, that's not good. A lot of these, like, a lot of these uh, six-card uh, per deck things, they're not very great. And uh, this card only becomes awesome when you start actually playing it for the third or fourth time. Uh, so I can't recommend it, and I can't really think of anything it combos well with. Um, maybe there's something in Criminal that I'm just you know, completely spacing on and don't r recognize. Um, but unless something comes along to combo with it, like allowing you to play it twice or allowing you to make more money on playing events as criminal, then I can't really see this as making it into anybody's deck at all. There's just better options for drawing, like Mr. Lee in Faction, or if you want to make money and draw cards, you can go spend two influence on a professional contacts. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Uh, don't use that card unless uh, I'm wrong, and uh, you can tell me why. <laughs> so let's move on. Oh, what, one last thing. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I know you're supposed to be moving on, but uh, it's uh, one influence. So if you want to splash it for some reason, it's going to cost you to actually make it effective and get you the full payout for it. It'll cost you six influence to splash all six cards. Uh, let's actually move on now. And we're moving on to uh, the first criminal AI icebreaker in the game. Uh, that's what we're moving on to, guys. It's Vama Diva, 6 to install, 1 MU, 2 strength, uh, program icebreaker AI Diva. Uh, and it says, uh, pay one credit, break ice subroutine on a piece of ice with exactly one subroutine. So it'll go right through a barrier like ice wall, just fine. It has pay one credit to pump its strength by one. And then it has pay two credits to swap Vama Diva with a diva program from your grip. And uh, it's two influence, guys. So this is a lot like Sadio Jetta, which is the other diva program for Shaper that could break car... Uh, it's a kind of caveat. Its limitation is it only breaks uh, cards that have three or more subtypes. Um, so how do these two stack up? Well, at first I thought Vama Diva was kind of garbage, um, that it was just terrible, because I was thinking about, oh, what happens if you run into an Enigma? It can't break it. Enigma's really popular. It shows up a lot. And then I actually said to myself, no, wait, hold on a second. I have to actually look at how many cards this can break and how effectively it can do it. Because this card, remember, um, it's effectively a corroder, but it only goes through um, one subroutine type uh, ice. So how many cards of this can it break? Well, it can break 78 cards out of 146. It can break 53% of the cards, the, the, the programs in Netrunner. But that's not just the interesting thing. So you're going to go, okay, it breaks 50% of the cards. Most of those cards are actually low strength because they're early game uh, gear check cards. Like a lot of Wayland cards, like Firewall, Icewall, um, things like that. It, this goes right through. It also goes right through Data Raven. It can potentially break a toll booth. And this is where things get really interesting. Because I actually had to go and count these cards in Netrunner DB. I did it faction by faction, and uh, guess what? This this Vamadiva can break 78% of the ice that NBN has. 22 out of 28 ice, it breaks right through. So if you're looking for a card that can put early game pressure on NBN, uh, this is that card. 
if they don't pull a multiple subroutine piece of ice, like they don't pull their single, if they don't pull out their uh, their single enigma, you know, or maybe they, well, they're going to have three enigmas because everyone runs three enigmas. But if they don't pull out one of those enigmas and install it early, uh, you can run roughshod over them with Vamadiva, which is really interesting. I think it also bears mentioning the other factions and like the kind of numbers they have. So let's go over them real quick. So it's 78% for NBN, but it's 50% of the ice for Jinteki, so 19 out of 33. Uh, it's uh, 38% for Wayland, 12 out of 31. And for HB, it's only 27%, so 9 out of 33. And then for neutrals, it's 76%, uh, 16 out of 20, 21. Okay, so I think I know what you guys are going to say uh, as a counter to that argument that it can break so much percentage X of whatever ice you guys are going to say, well, what happens if the NBM player or the Jinteki player, the two factions that are most successful to Vamadiva, what happens if they start playing, you know, lots of HB ice, which are less susceptible? Um, well, to my retort to that would be that NBN is starting to spend influence on things that aren't butcher shop. If you see an Ichi 1.0, you can almost be assured that you're playing not against a butcher shop deck. Uh, and yeah, you might lose your Vamadiva to that, but like chances are you won't because you're playing uh, criminal who are great at taking down sentries. Like you might have a Shafari installed, or maybe you're playing the new runner that can just bounce off of sentries no problem. Or maybe you're uh, maybe you're just uh, running first click and you can just you know take you know avoid the program damage on that Ichi 1.0 and then you know match the trace of the uh, the brain damage and uh, avoid you know getting messed up by it entirely. So. I think it's a pretty solid AI icebreaker choice against NBN, which means that it's a decent meta choice in tournaments. I mean, anything that can go through a data raven or go through, you know, a resistor or go through an archangel for like not that much. I mean, it's it's five to break an archangel, uh, you know, uh, four to pump and one to break. That's not bad instead of hitting the archangel and getting, you know, your butt handed to you. So that's pretty good. That's like point number one. And second point you're going to say is that, well, if you put Vamadiva down, the person's going to kind of like adjust their ice accordingly to counter you. Well, I've looked at a lot of decks on Netrunner NBN decks, um, and there's not a lot of decks that run like ice that counters it too well. I mean, I'm looking at one right now, and I'm seeing exactly zero ice in this, uh, this deck that uh, counters it. And uh, I've looked at about you know a dozen of them while I was doing some research on this program and uh yeah it breaks through everything that they can put down except for enigmas and you can go get yog for enigmas and you should be running one yog and a criminal dick anyways um so vamadiva uh you know gotta play test it but i'm gonna give it my approval i'm gonna give it thumbs up i'm gonna think uh it can do some work um and it's gonna be a surprise for a lot of people i think maybe i'm wrong you tell me what you guys think tell me how you guys have played with it uh but we got to move on because uh you know what? There's more cards to talk about. Uh, the next card we're going to take a look at here is the first shape card in the data pack. It's called Brahmin. It's a program icebreaker AI. Four to install, uh, two MU. Um, it's strength three. And it says uh, pay one credit, break up the two ice subroutines. Pay two credits plus one strength. And then its card text goes on to say whenever an encounter with a piece of ice in which you used Brahmin to break a subroutine ends, so after you pass the ice and you use it to break a subroutine, add one installed non-virus program to the top of your stack. So this thing eats your own programs and puts them back into your, your deck at the top of it uh, in order to essentially operate. 
Oh, and uh, also it is three influence. So guys, I'm not really sure where Brahmin fits into the shaper paradigm of programs. Um, I understand that it does have some interesting interactions with both Lady and like uh, David, because you can uh, basically use Ladies and Davids and then install Brahmin on like a Leprechaun or something, so he's not taking up MU so so much. And then you can use him to essentially throw your Davids and your Ladies back at the top of your stack, so next turn you can have them to run again. So there's this interesting program, like soft program recursion that you get with him. But, like, Shaper already has lots of ways to do that. They have Scavenge, so you can just Scavenge Lady or David. You put three Scavenge in your deck, and you can Scavenge for days. Generally, people only have one David because it's so high influence cost, but, you know, you'll self-modify and code David into play, you'll use him for a little bit, then you'll Scavenge him back if you need him. Like, you don't really need Brahmin to be doing that duty unless you're making a lot of runs. Now... The nice thing about Brahmin is that he is really efficient on anything that's strength three or below. He's kind of like a mimic and a yog kind of rolled into one, um, like a little bit of corroder too. Like he's able to deal with all those little tiny programs very well, but in order to operate him, we need to pay this click tax uh, on top of it. So it's like if you're going to operate Brahmin as an actual breaker, we need to start putting programs that we're going to feed him into our deck, which means we're taking up deck slots to feed this card that doesn't do his job as well as other cards that we have, and finding programs in Shaper isn't that hard. I have self-modifying code. I have test run. You know, I can, like, hell, I have Artist Colony now. Like, I have all these things to go tutor up things and install them during runs. I don't really need an Omni Breaker card, especially one that has this crazy, co like, extra cost, because it costs, you know, a click to draw the card that you just uh, sacrificed onto it, and then a click to install it. And... Like like I said, we have better ways to recur the cards that use power counters, so it puts Brahmin in a weird spot where he's like, yeah, he's a pretty good AI breaker if he didn't have this one kind of critical flaw. And, you know, a lot of people are going to try building decks that, like, mitigate this issue, but my kind of stance on it is why try to mitigate a problem with, like, using cards like Johnny Masanori to, to when you're successful, make successful runs, you get to, you know, you draw back the card you sacrificed. Why go and put him in your deck when you can run, like, a regular Shaper deck or, like, something that's a little more traditional or maybe that new Haley deck we've seen kind of run around? Why not run one of those decks instead of running a deck that's built around making one breaker not as bad as it really is? Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about Brahmin. The next card in this data pack is the second Shaper card, and uh, I think you guys are going to be pleasantly surprised with it. It's Patron. It's uh, a three-to-install resource connection, uh, three influence, and it says, when your turn begins, you may choose a server. The first time you make a successful run on that server, this turn, instead of accessing cards, draw two cards. So this is security testing, but it draws cards instead of giving you credits. Hmm... So it's important to note that with both security testing and patron and any kind of card that says instead of accessing, you're only going to get one effect. Even if you have like two patrons installed and targeting the same server, you're only going to be able to get the effect to trigger once because there's only one access that you get, one access phase. And this is instead of accessing. So even if you went back to it that turn, you wouldn't get it uh, a second time because it says the first time you make a successful run on the server. So you make a run on the server, it's successful, 
and you only have one access to fuel one patron. So installing two patrons and targeting one server is a mistake, uh, which means you can't do that on archives if someone's playing like a really glacier game and they left archives unprotected. You're not going to be able to draw four cards with the patron. That being said, patron is still, I think, a really solid addition to the, the draw engines that Shaper have access to. Um, we're, I think we're going to be entering a, a new phase of Netrunner that's going to see a lot more asset spam style decks. Um, this is just because we have a lot of tools nowadays that allow us to kind of operate them uh, a lot more efficiently as the corporation. And Patron allows the Shaper player to essentially keep up with those kind of decks, like the NBN decks that do a lot of asset spam. Traditionally, a lot of people would use like Astrolabe in that kind of situation, then maybe professional contacts, and that would kind of be the draw that you would use to keep up with that deck. But now you have a different option, um, you know, and you can install multiple patrons and run them multiple times uh, on like that kind of wide deck and get, you know, two clicks to get four credit, uh, four cards out of your deck. That's not that bad of a deal. Um, so I think it opens up some interesting kind of deck design space uh, for the Shaper player. Um, and it's definitely going to be a very cool card to keep an eye on in the next few months as people kind of figure out how to use it. So the next card up is the second to last uh, runner card in the data pack. Uh, it's a neutral card. It's uh, called Sports Hopper. It's three to install. It's a hardware vehicle. It has plus one link and trash to draw three cards. So you're probably looking at this and going, why would I ever pay three credits to draw three cards? And I was asking myself that question until I realized and it clicked why this card exists. In just over um, eight months from now, uh, the first two data pack cycles are being phased out of competitive play. And the card that we use to protect ourselves from Scorched Earth right now, the insurance card that's in every deck, which is uh, Plasky Carapace, is not going to be playable anymore because that thing came out like in the second data pack of Netrunner. So... We need a card, a neutral card, that protects us from getting Seasaurus uh, Scorched Scorched, and this is that card. It's effectively an I've had worse that you install and just wait until you get Scorched the first time, and then you can discard it. And if you're at five cards, which against a murder deck you should probably be, against Wayland and NBN, you tend to try to stay at that, that hand size. If that's where you are, then this card will save you from flatlining. And that's what Sports Hopper's for, and you get an extra link for it. Um, the downside being that if you have zero cards in your, your stack, in your deck, uh, it doesn't work. But don't draw down to that point, and you should be fine. Um, that's what Sports Hopper is. And you get a tasty, nice little bit of link, too, that you can use to go and do Underworld Contacts or use, uh, I don't know, maybe you're going to use um, like cloud-based breakers or something, and this kind of helps out with that. So one more thing that sports Hopper can help us do is that we can uh we can use it to drive over to the bazaar which is the last runner card in this data pack uh the bazaar is a one credit to install resource location ritzy and it says whenever you install a piece of hardware from your grip you may install another copy of that hardware from your grip paying all costs so guys i don't think bazaar is very good and here's why I don't need its help to install multiple copies of hardware. Um, usually when you have multiple copies of hardware like R&D interfaces or like uh, like prepaid voice pads or even health cyber feeders if you want to go real old school, even when you have those, generally your plan with your deck and its economy is to draw them and immediately install them. Um, 
generally that's what you're doing. And you're doing that, you're drawing and you're installing, you're making money during your economy downtime between threatening uh, runs and not. So, you know, you've made a big run, you have to build up back to your next run, that's when you're installing your hardware. Does Bazaar help you during that time? I don't think so. Yes, if you draw multiple copies of hardware, it could get multiple copies installed and save you a click, but it's going to do that maybe like by itself naked once or twice a game. And would I rather have something that gives me like money instead? Because if money is equatable to, to clicks, because you know, you click for a cash, if I have something that accelerates uh, my, my credit pool, it's like I'm getting clicks. So why not just put more money in my deck and then just install, install the things I need to install anyways? And that money helps me threaten uh, scoring remotes uh, faster during my economy downtime between my big runs. And, you know, speaking of big runs, I think it's a good time to kind of like close down the runner side of the data pack and open up the, uh, the corporation side of the data pack here and uh, take a look at some cards that I think are there's some, some pretty cool cards here. And the first one of those cards is an agenda for HB. It's a personality profiles. It's a three for one. Uh, and it says it's an agenda security. And it says whenever the runner searches his or her stack or installs a card from his or her heap, he or she must trash a card from his or her grip at random. So the first thing you guys might be inclined to believe is that when you see trash a card from his or her grip at random, you might believe that this can actually flatline a runner, but it can't. Um, I had to do a little research looking into a similar card that has a similar effect called housekeeping. And I looked at its FAQ ruling and it says basically that, um, that housekeeping can't trash, uh, can't flatline a runner. Uh, for housekeeping, it says the first time the runner installs a card each turn, he or she must trash one card from his or her grip. Same effect, but it can't flatline. So I'm assuming that this cannot flatline either. And just for the record, uh, pretty much I think whenever you see these must trash a card from his or her grip and it's not a result of meat net or brain damage, I'm, you know, reasonably convinced that globally that isn't going to cause a flatline either. So just keep that in the back of your head. With that being said, I don't really think we're going to see personality profiles see that much play. It just has too much competition for its deck slot in a lot of these new HB decks. I mean, HB has two in-faction 3-for-2 agendas in Accelerator Beta Test and Project Vitruvius. They have access to Global Food Initiative, which, I mean, a lot of decks are running right now. And, you know, all those together, that that's basically, you know, you're at point set match there, you're 21 agenda points if you have all those in your deck. If you lose one agenda point, like a Project Vitruvius, you can put in a 3-for-1. Um, and that could be, gosh, it could be like a Kronos Project, which is... I mean, it does something very similar to personality profiles, except it does it on like a much more impactful scale. Um, so moving on, uh, we're going to look at the next uh, Byroid, uh, House Byroid card uh, in this data pack. And that card is uh, Jeeves Model Byroids. It's an asset alliance. It's two to res. Uh, it's five to trash, and it costs three influence. The card text says this card costs zero influence if you have six or more non-alliance HP cards in your deck. And the, the actual effect of it says, the first time you spend three clicks on the same action each turn, gain one click. It is also important to note that the G's model Byroid um, is unique. He uh, has a little black diamond beside his name, and that means you can only have one of him resed at any one time, but you can have multiple of him uh, installed face down, uh, which is pretty cool. 
So Jeeves is pretty fantastic. Um, his trash cost to res ratio is great. Uh, two to res, five to trash. It's at that sweet spot where like you don't mind resing him uh, at the beginning of a turn to help push out an agenda, but also like the the runner is going to hesitate sometimes, depending on their credit situation, to trash him because maybe they just don't have enough credits. Um, you know that's going to be uh, uh, an uptick in your economic side of things. He's an alliance card, so he could be tutored out of your deck with Bump at City Hall. That's fantastic. Uh, his ability triggers off some really kind of obscure things. So first of all, you perform any of the uh, like actions on the you know the action card that comes with Netrunner, like click to take a credit, click to draw, whatever. He'll trigger. He'll trigger off of purging virus counters, and he also triggers off like Melange Mining Corporation. So if you've ever had those times where you've um, drawn a card and then melanged and your hand is starting to fill up because you're melanging, well now with Jeeves you can actually take that last, uh, that extra click he gives you and install that install that uh, drawn card, which, I mean, that's amazing. Like if you're playing, uh, you know, Engineering the Future, like now you're getting your Engineering the Future credit from that that round. Another thing to note is that, like, playing a double operation and then playing, like, another uh, operation that just costs, like, a single operation, playing those is still spending three clicks to play operations. So you're able to take those and trigger G's as well, which is kind of crazy, too. Um, G's has such a broad ability that I think it would be really difficult for me to even try to list all, like, the cool things you could do with them. So I'm just going to have to kind of carry on, and we're going to move on to the next card. Um, and just, you know, we'll just keep an eye on Jeeves and maybe we'll, we'll dip back to him later with his own little video, uh, with regards to what HB players have kind of thought up in maybe like, you know, maybe six months, we'll go back and do a retrospective thing, but let's go, let's go take a, let's go take a look at the next, uh, corporation card. Uh, we're moving on to Jinteki. So this next card in the data pack is called Ramen Ray. Uh, it's, uh, a, a asset Alliance executive. It's one to res three to trash and it's three influence. It says, like all Alliance cards, this card costs zero influence if you have six or more non-Alliance Jinteki cards in your deck. And its card text says, once per turn, you may lose a click when you draw a card. If you do, reveal that card and a card in archives of the same type, then swap those cards. So, as assets go, Robin Ray is uh, is pretty good, I think. Uh, he does exactly what he says on the tin. His res cost to trash ratio is decent. Um, and the thing I like about him the most is probably his ability to just uh, gives you the ability to curate what's inside your your archives. So he's he's an, a very um, unique type of recursion. Uh, you know, if you're looking at uh, other cards like let's say Archive Memories, which allows you to just pick a card back up, well, this card will you know if he can stay undefended for a few turns. Uh, he can theoretically let you bring back ice that you were forced to discard because you overdrew, or he can let you bring back an asset, um, you know, swap out an asset that you needed. Uh, maybe you wanted, you know, a sundew, your sundew got trashed. Well, maybe you have some other asset like um, like a Project June bug, and you don't really need the Project June bug, so you swap them out. Um, and then you have your sundew, you install your sundew, and you're, you're getting your economy back. So that kind of curation that he lets you do is... It's a level of utility that I don't really see in another card this consistently. Uh, the closest other card would be Museum of History, which has some pretty fantastic recursion abilities, but that's kind of blind recursion because it just puts stuff back in your deck. Um, combining Ray with Museum, though, gives you this kind of duality where um, you're going to museum the cards. Uh, you kind of just would, would be nice cards back into your deck, or maybe you're museuming back agendas. And uh, with Ray, you're able to basically uh, 
go and do targeted recursion for things that you need right now. Maybe you want to, you know, put down you've plenty of money. You want to swap out a celebrity a celebrity gift that you just pulled out for a neural EMP, and uh, you know maybe set yourself up for a neural EMP kill. Um, that's what this card can kind of let you do. Um, you know, I'd like to see how Jinteki players re- react to Ramen Ray and uh, his kind of deal. Um, so pretty cool. And because he's Alliance, he does he is uh, Mumbatable. He's uh, Mumbat City Hallable, which is not bad. Uh, so let's uh, let's go to the next card. This is a piece of ice, and this ice is actually I think this is the first ice in the data pack. Uh, this ice is Yupa Yoga. Uh, it's a three to res, strength four, code gate, psi, psi style ice. I don't see too many of those, um, and it has two subroutines. Uh, the first subroutine says you and the runners secretly spend zero, one, or two credits. So it's a psi game. Reveal spent credits. If you and the runner spent a different number of credits, the runner loses two credits. And the second um, uh, subroutine is resolve a subroutine on a piece of psi ice. uh, Yupa Yoga is a um, psi ice, so you can resolve the subroutine on itself. So you can essentially have that uh, psi game fire twice. So guys, I'm going to be honest. I actually like this code gate quite a bit. Um, I like psi games. I think they're fun. Um, I don't necessarily like side games on some things like Caprice, but on ice, I think they're, they're kind of kooky. Um, I like the strength four, which means that it's not yoggable. You have to go actually get a real Kogate breaker to get through it. Um, or an AI breaker. And I mean, if you want to actually, you know, break through this with, you know, let's say a Gordian blade, it's going to cost you four credits. So, I mean, the tax factor on, uh, Yupa Yoga is pretty good uh, for its initial res cost. And then that secondary subroutine can do some funky stuff. So like there's another Psy ice called Mamba. Uh, it's six to res, strength four, sentry, um, Psy AP. And on it says hosted power counter, do one net damage, uses ability only during a run. And it's Psy game, if you win it, charges up that, uh, power, that power counter. And, um, you know, that could actually be a pretty nasty thing to trigger because you know, resolving a piece, uh, resolving another subroutine on a piece of ice means that you essentially, like, kind of, in gameplay terms, you go over to that piece of ice and resolve it there. So the power counter does get put on Mamba, and you can use it during that run um, subsequently because it's charged up. And that is certainly neat. Another piece of cool uh, Psy Ice for Genteki is Snowflake, so it's a 1 to res 3 strength uh, barrier, and it's Psy game. If the runner loses it, it ends the run. So potentially if you have Yoga installed and Snowflake installed and they're both resed, you could um, potentially essentially make Yoga also into an end-the-run uh, barrier-esque kind of uh, co-gate, which is, um, which is just like more utility for it, which is cool. So all this Psy game talk has got me thinking about like what identity this would probably be best in if you're actually planning on doing like a very Psy game heavy uh, kind of deck. And I mean, obviously it would be Nisei Division, which was from Honor and Profit. And uh, that kind of train of thought got me thinking that, you know, we have this new Psy Ice. It just got released. We have this Nisei Division, which gains you a credit every time you reveal spent credits in a Psy game. So, I mean... What this is making me think is that we're going to keep on seeing Psy games for Jinteki, and I would like to see that archetype become a little more uh, competitive. So I'm hoping that we see more cards like Yupa Yoga, um, which are these like kind of nice, heavy tax, low res cost kind of pieces of ice. So the next card we have coming up here is uh, the first MBN card. It's Arya Bathotech 
Uh, it's an asset, Ritzy. Ooh, Ritzy. Uh, two to res, three to trash, uh, two influence. And it says, whenever there is a successful trace, gain one credit, and the runner loses one credit. So, guys, you know, this card's got me thinking, and um, it's, it's not that much to res. Uh, and it does provide you with a benefit, which is that, um, you know, if you invest a credit, an extra credit, in uh, firing a trace off, this is going to pay you back for that credit. So it means that every trace effectively with this installed could theoretically get one credit uh, added to it as long as you had the credit spent. Um, and, you know, the successful trace, when they lose, the, the runner's going to lose a credit. That's a little bit of extra effect. But the problem is the runner has to essentially run against ice that fires off its trace, which means that they have to not be able to break that ice. And, um, yeah, that's that's kind of tricky for NBN to, to manage. Um, you know, and, and like... There's just not enough other trace effects that NBN can leverage, I think, to really make this card that worth the deck slot. Um, you know, maybe there's some NBN master out there that just has the the, the trace foo that can completely use Arabatha tech um, to its maximum potential. But the way that I look at this is that, you know, you're going to draw one or two of these out of a, a game. You maybe install them, and then you kind of hope that the runner hits ice that where the traces will fire. Um, and that they'll make you some money back. Um, there is some interesting interaction with making news, which is the corset NBN identity that gives you credits to pay for traces. Um, that's kind of cool because, you know, you could pay the extra credits, make the trace successful, and then get credits and, like, leech money away from the runner that way with Arabatha Tech. But with so many good assets in the game and so many, like, really solid choices for either depriving the runner of money inside of NBN and also making yourself money. I don't see um, Arabatha Tech being like an awesome card. Although I would love to see it actually, you know, become that linchpin in that weird trace deck and actually see some people win tournaments. So if you do manage to pull that off and you're winning store tournaments with it, you know, get in contact with me because I actually want to see your deck list and see what you did. Um, and, you know, next we're going to move on to the next NBN card. and. Uh, and that card is Salem's Hospitality. Okay, guys, so this is Future Carl. Uh, I have two things to say. First of all, um, uh, it's not Salem's, it's Salem's. I should have noticed this when I was reading it, but tomato, tomato. And the second thing is that I've actually had a chance to play with this since I made this recording, because this is Future Carl, right? Um, and I'm going to talk about my play experience with uh, Salem's Hospitality. It's actually really scary powerful. So let's, let's go over us. So we have this card called Salem's Hospitality. It's a two-to-play operation, Alliance Gray Ops. It's four influence, okay? And it says, this card costs zero influence if you have six or more non-Alliance NBN cards in your deck, which is easy to do. That's three Jacksons. That's three some other things, like a toll booth and two other whatevers. And you get this for free instead of paying four influence. So this is what Salem's Hospitality does. Name a card. The runner reveals his or her grip and trashes all copies of that named card in his or her grip. All right, guys. So, like I said, I'm Future Carl here, and uh, I've actually had experience playing Salem's Hospitality. And I can say that it is a very powerful card, like, flat out bar none. Um, I'm going to basically point out two major, like, uses of this card. Um, one of them is in faction for MBN, and then one of them is out of faction for Wayland. So the in-faction use is essentially as a hard counter to I've had a worst or any card that's annoying that the runner has. Um, basically, uh, with Sailor's Hostile, you pay two, you say I've had a worst, like 15 turns in versus an Anarch player. They reveal their grip, 
If they have I have worse, then they lose them, which is a great boon to you. If they have two of them, they lose them, bringing them down to three. You could actually see source and scorch them right then and kill them, uh, which is super awesome. So the other side to that scenario is that they don't have I've had worse. Um, and what that tells the runner is that I want to get this card that protects you from getting um, flatlined from meat damage out of your hand. Um, that's what I want out. So if they haven't seen that you have like Scorch Earth in your deck already, chances are now they're kind of feeling that you are have or you have the capacity to flatline them that way, um, which puts some major fear in the runner if they've noticed that. Um, and at that point, you also get all the information of what's in their hand. So you could potentially see like, hey, this Anarch player has Apocalypse. Well, that's a problem. I need to deal with that. And your solution might be to get your Scorch package in your hand and just start making money and drawing cards to try to find your second Salem so that you have this ability to kill them after they Apocalypse and they get rid of the board. Another thing that you could kind of combo with this is uh, Call of Good or Real TV. And it says, when your turn begins, you may look at the top card of the runner's stack. And it says, um, like, trash, the runner trashes the top card of his or her stack. Um, that's a pretty cool asset to pair with this because it kind of gives you this information that you can then use to make informed decisions on Salem's Hospitality, um, which is super cool. That's a neat combo. I don't know how much you're going to see that because that's a lot of deck slots to devote for getting stuff out of the runner's hand, but it could certainly make your a life a lot easier in the case of you seeing an apocalypse um, or you seeing some other card you don't want the runner to have, like, you know, they're only, if they're criminal, they're only code geek breaker or whatever. Um, so... Definitely in faction, a powerful card. So we just talked about in faction utility of it, and it is strong, but put it in another faction and it becomes a little bit stronger, I feel. Uh, we're going to talk about putting it in Wayland, um, and mainly because Wayland has in faction uh, Mombad City Hall. Um, now take Mombad City Hall and then also put Museum of History in a deck and res them both. Now you have the ability to play Salem's Hospitality from your R&D and then, you know, it's going to go to your archives, and the next turn, it just goes right back into R&D, which means that you can just play Salem's Hospitalities all day long. So some of you MBM players might be saying um, right now, hey, you know what, I could take Salem's, and I could put it in my deck, and then I could also take, you know, Mumbai City Hall, which is only one uh, influence, put it in my deck, and then just go up to 54 cards so that um, Museum of History doesn't cost influence, because it's two influence otherwise and put that in my deck, and do the same thing in MBN, except and now I'm playing MBN, and I've got all the cool tricks that they can do, and I'm in a better position to like take advantage of, the, of a meat damage kind of deck. Well, the problem with that is that Salem's Hospitality is going to cost you two credits each, which means that if you want to do it every round, you have to find a way to like make two credits, which you can do, but I mean, two credits is not an insignificant amount of money to lose every round if you're, do, if you're operating it constantly which means that you're not going to be able to do it as much as, as Wayland, not because Wayland makes more money, but because Wayland has a way to reduce the cost of Salem's. And that card is actually an asset that's in this data pack. It's the second Wayland card. So we're going to move on so we can get to that faster, uh, and we can kind of finish talking about this kooky combo. Okay, so the next card coming up is a, a Wayland card. It's a Executive Search Firm, which is an asset, Alliance Ritzy, zero to res, three to trash, and it is three influence. Uh, being an alliance card, it has the alliance tech, uh, text. So if you have six non-alliance cards in your deck, uh, Wayland cards, then uh, this guy doesn't cost any influence. And it has click search R&D for an executive sysop 
or character, reveal it and add it to HQ, shuffle R&D. All right, guys. So when we're looking at executive search firm, we have to think of what kind of card we're actually tutoring up. So executive, sysop, and character are all subtypes of cards. What you've got here is really two types of cards that you're tutoring. You're tutoring um, assets, which are your character, uh, which are your uh, characters and your executives, and you're tutoring upgrades, which is your sysops. Um, those are the two types you're trying to, uh, to tutor. And inside of Wayland, we already have probably the best asset tutor in the game, which is Executive Bootcamp. Um, you can install it, res it for free, and at any point you can pay a credit and trash it to put uh, an asset, any asset, not limited to uh, the subtypes of Executive Character, into your hand. So if you need uh, a Melange Mining Corp, you can install Executive Bootcamp, burn the Bootcamp, and grab the, the Mining Corp and put it behind you know, your, your rushed out ice that lets you, you know, use the melange to get money. I can also use executive bootcamp to go get like Jackson Howard. If I wanted to, I could go get, um, you know, a, a project June bug, although I'd have to reveal it and that'd be kind of useless. But I mean, you know, consider for a moment that like I go, I'm going to go get a project June bug, install something and double advance it. Is it an agenda or is it the June bug? Um, executive search firm does not allow you to do that. What it does allow you to do is have an alliance card that you can theoretically use, um, or actually, legitimately, you can you, you can do this. You can use Mumbad City Hall to bring it into play, uh, and then go find a, an executive assistop or a character with it, which kind of gives you like an extra layer of tutoring to your Mumbad City Hall uh, setup. But I don't really know why you'd want to do it if you're playing Mumbad City Hall. You're playing a wide asset game, and like at that point. Why do you need sysops? Um, like, you're not going to go get the twins and use them inside of Wayland. And then outside of Wayland, you know, why would you use... I mean, I guess you could say that, um, like, a Butcher Shop deck uses six cards from Wayland. It uses three Scorched Earth and three Traffic Accident. So Executive Search Firm becomes free for them, which would allow them to go find their, um, you know, characters, sysops, and executives easier. But I don't think Executive Search Firm is worth the deck's lot um, at all, at least at the moment. Maybe if more sysops characters and executives come out, uh, we might see, you know, this card being used as like a one-off in a deck to just increase the likelihood of drawing into, you know, X special card you want to grab. But for the moment, I just don't see it mechanically working in a Wayland deck. So let's hop over to the next Wayland card and uh, see if this thing actually has a little bit more application to uh, our current deck building uh, processes. So the card is Indian Union Stock Exchange. It's an asset, uh, one to res, three to trash, two influence. And it says, whenever you res or play an out-of-faction card, including, including Indian Union Stock Exchange, gain one credit. So earlier when we were talking about all that um, Salim's uh, hospitality... Okay, guys, it's Future Carl. I'm back again. And uh, now that I actually know how to say Salem's Hospitality, um, I can kind of kick out the combo I was talking about earlier and elaborate on it. Um, the one that uses um, what I was talking about, Museums of History and uh, um, Mumbad City Halls. So you have your Museum and History installed and resed. You have your Mumbad City Hall installed and resed. Um, now you can play Salem's Hospitality from your R&D, like I was mentioning, and they go back to archives and they go back to R&D and they cycle. Um, so that's super gross. Well, put Indian Union Stock Exchange in there, install one of them, it has the price of, of Salem's Hospitality, 
if you have like a pad campaign installed in Rezd, now you basically have the money to play it every round. If you have two Indian Union stock exchanges, you know, you're no problem. You can play it every round for free. So when I was saying that it wasn't as effective in MBN is because Indian Union Stock Exchange says an out-of-faction card, Salem's is in-faction for MBN, which means you can't make that combo work. Now, you could do it in Jinteki, but now you're having to pay for the Indian Union Stock Exchange um, influence-wise, and it's too influence. So that's kind of rough on that side of things. Um, another thing that makes it a little bit better in Wayland is they have kind of two ways to uh, tutor assets out of their deck. Um, so the first way is Executive Bootcamp. Uh, which you install and you pay one and trash the executive boot camp and you can just go find any asset, which is just fantastic. It can get you Jacksons, it can get you Indian Union stock exchanges, it can get you commercial bankers groups, which are amazing. Um, so it's a fantastic card to have in pretty much any asset-driven deck. The other card is neutral, and anyone can have it. It's called Tech Startup, and it says, when your turn begins, you may trash Tech Startup. If you do, search R&D for an asset, reveal it, and install it, shuffle R&D. So Executive Boot Camp is a little bit better than that, um, I feel, because it can be triggered while the runner's running at it. So you can have it installed and just hanging out, but it can still get its use off, uh, but it costs a credit. Whereas Tech Startup, um, because it only triggers at the beginning of your turn, the corporation's turn, um, that means that there's an option, there's a possibility that the runner might run on it and trash it. So you might install this like Tech Startup that you need to kind of combo into some sort of asset combo that you want um but the runner might effectively just spend a click and a credit to get rid of it so that's why i think executive bootcamp is a little bit better but having options of both of those means that in this 54 card deck we're running we have you know up to six cards that we can use to tutor are the important assets we want and they all come back into the deck because of museum history okay so i know what you guys are going to say you're going to say is indian union stock exchange good without this combo and I'd say tentatively, yes. And the reason I'd say it is because there's a lot of weird ways to take advantage of it. Um, in regards to the Alliance-style decks that I was running when I tested it, um, it's still, even if it, Salem's wasn't being used, it was still making me good money. Because I had my Mumba Temples, which give me the two recurring credits to res assets, and I had 23 neutral cards in that deck, you know, with I think about half of those being assets. So my pad campaigns, if I had an Indian Union stock exchange, uh, you know, I would res them for free and then gain two credits at the beginning of my turn instead of getting, getting one. And in a weird way, a stock exchange in this kind of situation with a neutral deck with Mumbit City Hall and Mumbit Temple and Museum of History, in this kind of situation, it's starting to look a lot like Turtlebacks that also gives you a discount on any of the operations you play. And if you're playing credit operations like Hedge Fund, you know, this really rare card that, you know, I'm not sure you've heard of. Um, if you're playing this operation, well, guess what? Now, instead of making four credits of profit, you're making five. And that's a huge deal, considering your museums of history are going to put that Hedge Fund back in your deck. You have two Mumbad, uh, sorry, if you have two Indian Stock Exchanges installed, um, now you're getting like a six credit Hedge Fund every, I don't know, six, seven turns. That's a pretty big deal. And then the icing on the cake for Stock Exchange is that if I have three Mumba Temples installed, I can res an Assassin paying one credit, then like get the credit back, because it also works on resing Ice. Um, so if we return to the question that I posed of, is um, Stock Exchange good outside of the Salem's combo? My answer would be, yes, it is. Um, and I said tentatively earlier, but now I've kind of talked myself into it. In the same way that Turtlebacks is a good card. 
Um, Turtlebacks is not going to be used in a HB Glacier deck because they just don't install enough assets, um, which is what Turtlebacks rewards you for. Um, you have to build the right deck for Stock Exchange, but if you do build that deck, then I do think that uh, Stock Exchange is going to pull its own weight and earn its deck slot in that deck. And I mean, if that deck also happens to be a Salem's Hospitality deck, then it's pretty damn nice. At least, that's what I think. Um, if you guys would like to take a look at this deck I've been talking about um, and see its full deck list, you can take a look in the description of this video, and uh, there'll be a link to uh, a Netrunner DB publish of that deck. Don't know what I'm going to call it yet, um, but I'm sure it'll have some weird name. Uh, the point being is that you can go check that deck out and uh, build it yourself and play it. If you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm definitely going to be making some iterations on it, because after playing it a little bit, I think that uh, there's a few cards I want to shuffle around in it. Um, but that's pretty much all I have to say about uh, Stock Exchange. Um, let's move on to the next card. And that card is going to be the first neutral card uh, for the corporation in this data pack. Uh, it's a piece of ice called Cobra. It's a four to res, strength one. It's Sentry Destroyer AP. Uh, and it has two subroutines. The first one is Trash One Program. And the second one is Due to Net Damage. So Cobra looks a lot like Robo Turret when I take a look at it. It's the same res cost. Um, Cobra has one plus strength over Robo Turret. It has the same first subroutine of Trasher Program. It's the end the run and the two net damage that are different. Cobra's two net damage I actually think is a little bit better than Robo Turret's because early game, um, if I can hit someone with this Cobra, I want them to hit it, take that net damage, and just kind of like take a big step back and go, okay, I'm not going to come back and hit that again. Where with the Robo Turret, I mean, it doesn't burn them as badly. There's a chance that the Robo Turret uh, doesn't trash a program, it just ends the run. Um, and, I mean, an end-the-run program for four credits is kind of steep when I can go and I can grab an Ice Wall and it'll do the exact same thing, have plus one strength and end the run just as well for one credit of res cost. Whereas Cobra has this nice two net damage, and I could actually snipe out something good from their hand with that net damage, and I can layer it as well. So I can layer it with that ice wall and create um, a much trickier server to get into. And it's a very simple server, and eventually, you know, they'll break into it no problem. But, you know, hopefully by the time they've done that, I have, you know, a Scorch package ready, or I have, you know, my fast advance is already rolling, or whatever, you know, kind of thing I've got going on is going on to win me the game. Um, and Cobra might just buy me some time uh, for that. So uh, not a bad little piece of ice. Uh, I think I'm going to be slotting that into my decks and seeing how it holds up. Um, now let's move on to the second to last card, boys and girls. This one's an operation. So uh, the next card up is Localized Production Line. It's four to play. Uh, it's an operation. And it says, Search R&D for any number of copies of a card. Reveal them and add them to HQ. Shuffle R&D. It is three influence. All right, guys. So I've been having to think about localized production line, and I'm kind of coming up with a blank. Uh, the only thing I can really think of using it for is either assembling the Scorch Earths you need to finish a Scorch package and, you know, basically broadcasting to the runner, I am going to kill you. Um, I am confident enough to spend four credits to do it with production line. So, you know, you better get ready and maybe, you know, you're doing that as a bluff to, to kind of create distance, or maybe you actually are ready to do it. Um, so, I mean, to facilitate that, it's obviously pretty damn useful for that. Um, and then the only other thing I can think of using it for is to just make lots of money. So you use it to go get all your hedge funds, or better yet, use it to go get all your celebrity gifts. 
because you can go use production line and then put all this, uh, your celebrity gifts into your hand and then like use them and uh, you can get what? It's 10 credits uh, if you reveal five cards for celebrity gift and you have an overstuffed hand already. So if you have stuff in your hand you don't actually want to share with the runner, um, you can use, you know, the celebrity gifts as kind of like a, uh, a buffer so that you actually don't end up showing like maybe one or two cards, um, which is pretty cool. Like, cause you, you don't have to show all your cards. You can show, you know, five cards the first time around and then show four cards uh, for the second celebrity gift and be like, well, what's this card? I don't want to show you by hand. Maybe it's an agenda. Maybe it's a snare. But, uh, you know, I think that's all that needs to be said about localized production line, uh, at least for today. Maybe we'll figure out some fun tricks to play with it uh, later. But, um, you know, we have this last this last card. We have this one last card here, and that card is Mumbad Virtual Tour. It's an upgrade alliance card. Um, zero to res, five to trash, and it's normally two influence, although uh, it is an alliance card. And uh, this is kind of an interesting one because um, it's a little unique. It, this alliance card, um, it costs zero influence if you have seven or more assets in your deck. Uh, the exact wording is this card costs zero influence if you have seven or more assets in your deck. And the true, like, meat of the card, the card text, that we're actually curious about is if the runner accesses Mumbad Virtual Tour while it is installed, he or she must trash it if able. So I think Mumbad Virtual Tour is a very powerful card, and here's why. Um, if the runner encounters it while they're doing R in R&D or in your hand, they have an option of either trashing it, which is exactly what you want them to do, or to ignore it, um, which is something that they probably might not want to do because they're going to have to deal with it once it's installed in a server. Um, once you have it uh, you know, installed, like in an R&D, for example, um, that essentially says, hey, you're going to access R&D? Well, you are going to pay five credits. So in theory, a runner could... Um, orchestrate their run in such a way that they would end up with only having four credits when they actually reached Mumbad Virtual Tour, um, which would result in them not having to trash it and still getting access to, let's say, R&D in this case. Um, however, the unknown nature of ICE and not knowing how much money you'll need to break through ICE, uh, I think is going to play in the favor of Mumbad Virtual Tour because runners will almost always default to having more credits and less credits when they're making a run. Um, so you could, in theory, end up actually uh, having them hit uh, virtual tours a lot more often, even if they know it's there. One kind of strange thing that I that occurred to me while I was looking at this card was that Industrial Genomics actually increases um, the trash cost of it. Um, so if you're playing Industrial Genomics, and if you're not familiar with it, um, it's a Genteki ID that says the trash cost of each card is increased by one for each face-down card in archives. If you're playing um, IG and uh, you have Mumbad Virtual Tour and you have like five cards uh, face down in archives, which is totally possible, um, then this thing would actually cost 10 to the trash. And if you installed it naked in a server, there's a good chance that a runner could run into it and have to pay 10, um, which is super brutal. Um, on the flip side of that, if you had more than five cards face down in archives, you've had like 10 or 11. Uh, then you're looking at a 15 to trash or 16 to trash cost uh, uh, upgrade. And, you know, I'm going to say it's pretty rare that a runner runs into something with 15 credits to spare. Um, is it possible? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen all that much? I don't know. But if you're anything below that kind of kooky threshold, uh, I think you're not going to have to pay for it. So it's good in IG, but I wouldn't say it's like unbelievably powerful. Um, 
just a very kind of funny interaction between those two uh those two cards so guys um that's going to do it for uh this video mumbai virtual tour is the last card in the data pack uh Soul city island is all wrapped up uh and uh that's pretty much all I have to say, other than I hope you guys enjoyed watching, and uh, or at least as much as I enjoyed making the video. And, um, you know, if you have any comments, questions, or uh, uh, suggestions, I'd love to hear them in the comments below. So the only thing left to be said, guys, is, uh, hey, you know what? I'll see you next episode of Christian Link. Uh, this is uh, Carl signing off.